Welcome to the Pet Cash Pod presented by Profluence Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Petcash. This is the 57th episode of my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest, Antonio Cacarino, founder and CEO of Apex Capital. Apex, they're a syndicate and a fund soon all around athlete investing. So they have a bunch of athlete partners, 70 plus in their community who are involved, and they invest at the intersection of sports, media, and entertainment. Antonio, background in finance. Smart dude, very interesting conversation. You'll enjoy this just around athletes and investing, what they're doing at Apex Capital, and just overall landscape of sports, media, and entertainment. Tons of great takeaways. I enjoyed this one. I think you will as well. Let's dive in. Antonio, appreciate you coming on today. Really love what Apex is doing and excited to dive into this one, give people the full story, give people some more context, and then uh, shed some light on some cool things, especially around athlete investing. Perfect. And, you know, thanks, thanks, Andrew, to, for, for inviting. And, uh, you know, what you guys have been doing is amazing. Definitely really the forefront, I guess, of this, you know, athlete entrepreneur movement and getting into sports business, and then just the momentum with sports as an investable asset class. So I think it's going to be a, a really cool one. Yeah. Thanks, Antonio. It's uh it's a good industry for for right now. And and just curious your thoughts on this before we kind of dive into Apex a little bit more. But I saw this past weekend just some reports. The Saudis now looking at tennis a little bit. I know you have a bunch of tennis players, a part of Apex. You know, where where's the limit on Saudi money? When does that stop or does it ever stop? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it 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 will stop, right? I mean, in terms of at least of availability of that money, it definitely seems like there's no roof there. Now it's going to be sort of, you know, how the market eventually really reacts to, to what this money actually brings in value. For sure, money is, is needed and, and then for sure it's motivating a lot of, uh, you know, sports properties, a lot of athletes. So, you know, it can be really good, but at the same time, uh, it can also be bad, right? Because that's where I guess the big question is, what will the value, you know, beyond capital be? How will, will it reflect at the end of the day for fans, right? I think... There's some good principles, even though there's people that can question a lot of the, the, the sort of the origins of the money and, and the consequences of so much money. But I think that uh, it can be really good, but it, it can also be dangerous. So yeah, I think it's a question nobody really knows, but, but definitely it's just a demonstration of how exciting times it is to be in sports. The entire world is understanding that sports is, is, is a massive investable asset class, which is only something that... The, the U.S. understood, and in Europe and in Asia, we, you know, it wasn't so clear, and now it is, and hence the opportunity. But then again, not everyone can be a winner, so I'm really curious to see who are going to be the winners and who will be the losers. Yeah, and, and you guys have a bunch of players, a part of your network, uh, the syndicate, and now the fund that's coming up soon. What are, they, what, are, what are some of their thoughts? What are they saying about this? Are they looking at opportunities to go play in these Saudi leagues? Like, you know, what is the, the chatter from a lot of them? Yeah, Again, I think there's both 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 ways of looking at it, and I guess similar to how you saw the discussions around uh, you know live live and how people were you know were sort of against them and for live. There's always athletes that believe that you know more money into sports will will drive more innovation and more solutions and 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 just a better product overall for for fans and in, in somewhere or other as well some type of democratization. Some democratic approach, so other athletes can also be become you know really wealthy, not just really the top top. But there's also other athletes that you know have a bit more of a, a concern for the future, right? What will this too much money bring? Will it will, will, will we lose the passion and the real element of sport? You know this unique 
positioning that sports has, and will it just become a, you know a business and entertainment, and 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 then lose this other side, the cultural side as well. So I think it has completely divided athletes. But then again, it's just a lot of money, right? So I, I cannot be the person that will judge if an athlete goes to Saudi when he's you know 25 years old. Then again, maybe some athletes really believe in the project and that, you know, those leagues there, at least on the soccer side, will really become very competitive and will, will really be even good for their career. Because right now it's obvious it's a financial decision and, uh, you know, on the career, it's, it's a risky move. And of course, if an athlete, it's on the long tail, on the end of his career, he doesn't mind to risk the career or, or you know, to take a step down because he's done what he has to, what he had to do. And, you know, he just wants to really make sure he makes a solid financial decision. But you see now athletes like you know, Ruben Neves from, from Wolves that had offers to go to Barcelona and Arsenal. He went, you know, he's 26. He's playing, you know, uh, Portuguese national team at his best. And he decided to go. Of course, there's a lot of money. But I also believe that some of these guys really believe in the project, that these leagues will become competitive. And that, you know, there will be a global sort of league where even the, the Saudi teams will be able to play and compete against, you know, the top European mm -hmm. teams. Yeah, it's interesting. And you talk about financial decisions, right? That's exactly where Apex comes in, right? You're trying to give this other outlet to these athletes now as they're making more money and to be able to go and invest it back into the ecosystem, not just financially, but to be a part of like that impact. So going back to the start here now, Apex Capital, you know, where did you get this idea? And then what was the opportunity you saw where you're like, I have to build this and I have to build this now? Yeah, so our story, I guess, goes back, well, it can go way back, but, you know, the, the initial story goes back to COVID and, you know, to the quarantine days, I guess, where a lot of people had time to, to think and to question, to discuss. So basically, you know, we, one of, one of the co-founders is Antonio Felix Acosta, one of my best friends, you know, from a young age and definitely a top, top athlete on the motorsports front, you know, formerly 2020 world champion. And through our friendship, I, you know, traveled the world and met a lot of racing drivers. I'm Portuguese, which also means that I, I met a lot of football players just back in the day. And uh, so I had a very strong personal relationship with these athletes. But at the same time, I had my career, which completely independent of sports. I was in finance do, doing my thing. And, but they always associated, associated me to the finance guy. And what that meant was that we actually had a lot of sort of maybe personal conversations on finance, on investing. And I started to realize that the wealth management problem that we saw, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, most of these, you know, tier one athletes not necessarily conserving and preserving their wealth properly is starting to go down. I mean, of course, there's always going to be scenarios, but at the end of the day, it's, there's really good wealth management services out there. So athletes on that sense are, are taken care of as long as, you know, as long as they listen to, you know, what people around them tell them, but this problem is solved, but at least in Europe, what wasn't, what was a big sort of untapped area was their involvement with their investing, right? And, and it was a big sort of area where they were a bit afraid, you know, and asking the stupid questions, you know, they wanted to get involved. They saw what is being done in the U.S. and how cool it is for athletes to leverage their platforms and be recognized as well beyond what they're doing on the pitch, on the field, on the track. But they were just a little bit, there was a little, a little bit of a fear and just a barrier. And that's where, you know, we, we, we started to focus. I used that, that quarantine time just speak to a lot of athletes and ask questions it just really made it clear that for them that was a fear and number two while everyone in covid were thinking you know listen when eventually things go back to normal i go back to my work athletes yes they were like when things go back to normal i will go back to my work which is you know them being athletes and performing but it was also a really good snapshot for them of what their life could look like the moment they retire in terms of really purpose 
And not every athlete wants to continue in his particular sports as a coach, as a team principal, as a director, you name it. Some athletes just want to you know, do something else, explore other things, and not only they're limited. And you know, that's exactly what you know, we set out to do. You know, Let's set up a company where we allow athletes to possibly become active investors and entrepreneurs. And what better than, of course, sports, media, and entertainment as the asset class for them to really come in and add value beyond their capital. So network, industry understanding, and a strong brand, which is even more relevant in, in sports, right? I mean, every athlete and very, very big athletes are massive brands. They're relevant everywhere, but in sports, even more. One thing is, you know, someone tell you that a big Formula One, drive is, Formula One driver is investing in, you know, in a coconuts business, which is cool, but that's it. But if I tell you Formula One drivers investing in a sports technology business, solving some potential problem in, in motorsports, like, okay, that makes even more sense, right? And that's, you know, the thesis and, you know, and the story behind Apex. And, uh, you know, then we set out to make sure we found the best deals and the best athletes that, that had the motivation to work with. And, you know, that did really uh, open up a lot of doors uh, and access to really the best companies in the space. And then I guess here we can call it a little bit of luck. Sports just became an even more interesting asset class. So beyond athletes, a lot of institutional investors started to come in. And we were just there and at least really leading this European movement. We are now global. We work with athletes all over the world, but you know, our origins are in Europe and we were really one of the first sort of platforms to connect and to create this community of, you know, athletes that want to invest actively and contribute towards the future of sports. Yeah, it's awesome what you guys are doing. And we've seen a lot of individual athletes try to put these resources around them, like a Kevin Durant or Serena Williams. Now, how are you guys planning to do this more at a scale where you're not saying there's one particular athlete, but we have many athletes and we want to be able to add equal value and help them build their brand and make investments and, you know, do all the great things that you just mentioned? Yeah, I guess, you know, because the advantage of Europe being, you know, a few years behind the US was that really there was not, not many athletes doing that. So we, we, we were able to begin it straight away as a community. You know, while in the US, it's exactly what you're saying. You have, you know, especially the very, very big ones, they have their own structures. So sometimes a few NBA guys get together, a few NFL guys, but it's too limited to one sport, one person sometimes, or a bunch of athletes. And we just saw it differently. We saw it really as a community where we could combine different ages, geographies, sports, genders, and really leverage everyone, you know, everyone's, you know, best skills in, in one community. And then we really help Apex stand out and that would really, you know, not limit us to one sport and to one type of, let's call it investment. So at the end of the day, yes, we are, uh, you know, ventures where we started and when we fought, where we began and where we definitely have more deal flow and definitely where our first fund will be focused. But our expertise is so sports industry focused that we can really leverage that and do other things, you know, within sports, within media. And that's what we already seeing, you know, deals in growth, later stages and sports properties were you know, we will be announced soon as investors, as minority investors in a few sports properties out there. And that is a result of definitely not me limiting, you know, one or two athletes. And then the community feeling with athletes is something quite rare because they're so big, you know, there's big egos, you know, and uh, and you actually see that these athletes love to meet each other through deals and, 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 and you know, it just sort of breaks a lot of stigma and egos and just puts them in the same place and all working towards the same goal, which is, of course, the successful outcome of, of, of the portfolios companies were investing. Right. Yeah. They're used to being on a team on the field or the court or whatever. And now you're just saying, hey, we'll put you on a team in the boardroom. Exactly. Now, you mentioned you have athletes from all over the world and starting your heavy presence there. 
what differences are you seeing between like athletes in each region? Like, are there certain companies they preference more? Are there certain just how they act, how questions they ask? You know, what, what are some of those differences? Yeah, I think there's one obvious one, especially if you compare and compare Europe, US, it's, it's, you know, it's how comfortable they are with not only taking risks, but asking questions and getting involved, right? Not only in the US, there's been many successful already cases of athletes doing venture, even agnostically, not necessarily only in sports. And that, you know, gives motivation for a lot of other athletes in the US to start doing this from a young age. So they're just more comfortable. But on a cultural side, US is just more, you know, uh, more business friendly, more, you know, let's go, let's do it. And then we see. While in Europe, the culture is much more sort of conservative. They're very afraid of doing, you know, making the wrong mistake and what's going to affect my reputation. So clearly the big, big difference is in how comfortable uh, they are with, you know, sticking their head out, taking some risk and getting involved. Clearly in Europe, this is something that takes takes uh, longer. There's more gatekeepers, which also get involved and sometimes put the wrong ideas in their heads and don't allow them to really leverage their, their potential as investors, right? And I think what, what, what makes it different is when we show them that they can be really valuable beyond their money, that's when they get excited. And even beyond their commercial value, because they also know they have a strong commercial value. They're doing commercial deals every day. The moment that they understand that founders want them because of their understanding of the industry or their network within the industry, they get really excited and they start getting comfortable. But definitely the big difference is that cultural approach to, to business, to investing and to getting outside their comfort zone. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, it's probably why it's a few years behind as well in Europe, which honestly, like you said, is to your advantage in a way, because you can round them up and make sure you're at the head of that. Now, when you either talk to athletes and then companies, it's kind of a double fold question here. You know, what are some of the pushbacks of the value you add, meaning Apex Capital? Like, what are some athletes, like, what do they push back on? Or like, what are some of their questions? And then same with like companies, like, what are some of those things where they go, okay, what is the inherent value of Apex, Apex Capital? So on the athlete side, again, this goes a bit more uh, on the European front. It's initially they're pushing back on, you know, they're used to, they think they have to get a better deal than everyone else, meaning that they should get mm -hmm. sort of some commercial mm -hmm. brand advisory equity. And what we get them to understand is, you know, if they're getting that deal every time, it's, that means that they're not looking at the right companies. Because if, if a founder is very comfortable with, you know, and every investor is amazing, and I think they will, you know, just require capital and, and they already expected to bring something beyond the money. That's why they have access to invest. And that's what we tell our athletes. Listen, because of who you are, you get access to invest, but you're not going to get a better deal than the CEO of this company, this VC fund, which has an amazing track record in, you know, in, in investing in this particular asset class, you name it. So that, that is the question and, and what takes time sometimes with these athletes is getting them to understand that, you know, they need to invest like everyone else and they're expected to do more. There shouldn't be a contract. No, the moment there's a contract in place, it becomes sort of a commercial obligation for them. And then they just treat it as some, any other commercial deal and you won't get, squeeze the best out of the athlete. So I guess on the athlete front, especially in Europe, it's a bit that. In the US, I don't, we don't feel, we feel athletes get it. They understand their value. They understand they need to be you know, mentioned as investor. And if they're not going to be doing anything next time, people will not allow them to invest in the, you know, in the, in the ex exclusive deals. As simple as that. On the founder side, I guess the question is, is, you know, is, is it also sort of the invert of this is, you know, will these guys really get involved? You know, what's the real added value of these, you know, how active do they get? And again, 99% of the athletes we work with are at the peak of their careers. And that is their focus and that should be their focus. 
but it doesn't mean that because of that, they shouldn't be doing, you know, there's a lot of time in a day. There's a lot of time in a year. They just need to make sure they're organized and that their structures can leverage as well what they have. So it doesn't, they don't have to be the ones always, you know, leveraging their network. Clearly their manager, their advisor, their lawyer, whoever it is, that is a person of contact can do that for them with them. They just need to make sure that they're there, you know, and, and showing their face and really demonstrating the world that they believe in this company, that's where they're investing, that this, uh, this com company one way or another is contributing positively towards the future of sports. And this is why them as a big platform in sports are investing their money and, and time. So, so yeah, the, the, sometimes the problem with founders is, are they really going to be involved and will they really be more than just some money or, or a PR uh, stunt? Yeah. And both of those make a lot of sense. Good points. The, the athlete one always makes me laugh because I don't think it's always actually the athlete. I think a lot of the times it's because they have these agents around them and the agents are try always trying to get the best deals because that's where they get paid out of. And so when you get to invest things, a lot of times the agents get cut out, but the athletes still have that. I should be getting, you know, the best deal mindset. Now, pulling back a step here in terms of Apex Capital and actually like the operation side, you mentioned you, your co-founder, right? We have these athletes, but you know, you have a pretty comprehensive team now. You know, how did you go building out that, you know, what were your thoughts around, you know, what you needed and, you know, how you want to build out, you know, on the operations to make sure this is as efficient as possible? Yeah. So I, I sort of followed the little bit, let's call it the model that I, I had since we, we began, which is I'm not going to wait to need something to go out and, and, and get it. Meaning that, you know, even the moment we, we brought in our legal counsel, we didn't need one. We were just happy. But at the end of the day, we realized that we did because it just made us grow to a certain extent that we eventually needed, right? So I guess that was a little bit what we had with the team. Of course, the first step and the first, uh, the, the first moment we had some capital really to, to, to invest in the team was to invest in the investment team and clearly focused on you know, the early stage venture side because it was where we were getting more deal flow and it's definitely where we were building solid expertise. So you know, at the end of the day, if you're an investment company, investment team needs to be your first investment. That's what we did. We eventually, we eventually ended up bringing in Kuhn Bosma, who, who is a, our head of venture capital, also now a partner in Apex and someone that uh, was already uh, working with a few, you know, football players, uh, well, soccer players in, 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 in the Netherlands and, uh, and Belgium to sort of set up a syndicate similar to Apex. And this is when I met him and I said, listen, just come on board, bring, bring of course, the athletes that work with you, but also your, your capacities. And really, he was leading a, a, a global sports tech fund out of Qatar leading up to the World Cup where he you know, really saw uh, a lot of companies and exactly what we were going to invest in. So he came in and did that. We built a team around him. And, uh, you know, and as soon as we started to understand the momentum around Apex, and then again, timings were great around sports as an asset class, investable asset class, but also this athletes entrepreneur movement. Right. We said, we need, to, we need to grow a business. You know, Apex cannot just be venture. We are definitely a sports industry expert. We need to grow the team. We need to leverage everything that comes. And this is where, you know, we brought in our chief of staff, where we started to generate a solid business development team. So now around the investment team uh, and uh, led by Pedro, uh, co-founder of Apex, we have a super solid business development team, which basically maintains and, ex and creates relationships around the entire sports ecosystem for Apex. So sports properties, sports, so sponsors, media rights, businesses, IP, IP uh, holders, you know, uh, teams, athletes, uh, you name it. So basically just to validate exactly what is, what is different between Apex and other investors in the industry is this network that we can definitely connect all our athletes and all our portfolio companies straight away the moment we start working with them. And this needs to be 
you know, maintained. It's not just a few contacts and that's it. You need to be maintained. You need to be, you know, constantly speaking to them, showing new trends, trying to service every need that, that each sports property uh, or institutional co-investor might have. And that's what also allowed us, you know, moving now into a fund to beyond athletes, you know, bring in non-athlete investors, but super strategic sports and media groups. And, you know, this is what we will announce within the next uh, few weeks or months is, you know, not only the validation of the athlete network that we have, which people sort of already had an idea from the deals that we did, but also a proof that institutionals are now coming in and backing us and really validating where we are going as a business. Right. Now, when you're looking at these deals, you said you have a lot of early stage, you know, are there, it's obviously all within sports, tech, media, entertainment, we've covered that, but you know, are there certain things you look for? I mean, I'm just now here, like flipping to the entrepreneur side of me and, and the entrepreneurs that listen to this, that would, you know, love to have a check from Apex Capital at some point. You know, what are you guys looking for? What catches your eye? You know, what are some of the ones you've done that, you know, what, what were some of those reasons that you really liked and knew the value add on both sides? Yeah. So looking, you know, of course, through, through the venture lens, which is clearly where we, you know, we focus and where this fund will be focused. So we're looking, you know, we like to say very simplistically that we invest in the future of sports, even though that is simple, that is actually sort of, you know, really uh, the reality of the fund, right? So any business or founder that is, you know, in some way or another really improving sports or, 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 or contributing towards really the growth of where sports is going, but we are looking at, you know, technology is, is really, you know, overlapping everything, mostly everything we, we see, because again, scalability there is, uh, is needed uh, w with tech. I mean, now I can, I, can, I can throw you AI, I can throw you Web3. That is, no, let's not go there. But, but definitely it's, it's, it's business or founders that are pushing, you know, are seeing a, a super strong trend in sports, are understanding how sports are, are really, how sports is really beyond just, you know, what is a performance on the pitch, but really an entertainment machine, how it can, you know, unite the entire world, you know, from, a young child, you know, in Asia to, you know, an older, an elderly person in the U.S. Mm -hmm. because it, it brings much more to that. So anything in that enhances performance, anything enhancing, you know, performance from an elite level to an amateur mass market, mass participation level, anything enhancing engagement between fans, athletes, and sports properties, we look at. And yeah, I mean, even though it's a bit generalistic what I'm saying at the end of the day, it's, it, it's still the sports tech, it's still a, a niche and it's still early. So it's hard for us to say what we don't do, right? I would say one thing that we might not look so much is hardware because we have our questions in not only scalability, but also in viability of, of the solutions that are out there because there's just every time something new coming out. But, uh, but other than that, we're looking, we're looking for passionate founders that understand that sports is, is like a religion and that it can, you know, it can really change the world. And, and we see that. So if something is just restricted to something in particular, we, we might not look at it. Even though, for example, at an elite level in sports in Europe, there's so much to be done. If you just replicate what is done in the US and put it in Europe, you have a business there because, uh, you know, these European sports properties are just so far behind that you know, uh, any sports technology that has been working and serving you know, U.S. sports properties well over the last two, three years, I'm sure they will have a successful business in Europe. And again, we can be that bridge, you know, connecting to all our network. Right. Right. Yeah. And you talk about just replicate the model in Europe. I mean, you go to Asia, it's even yeah, you yeah. Know, more opportunity because it's even farther behind. No, Antonio, this has been an awesome conversation. Obviously, I love what Apex is, is doing and has done and will continue to do. You know, any, I know we got some announcements coming up, which we'll put out through our stuff, your stuff, whatever. Everyone will see it in one way or another. But, you know, anything else you want to talk about or any trends you think people should be paying attention to? And then we'll just wrap it up here and, you know, we'll get you back on some other time. I mean, I, 
I love, you know, I wouldn't say this is a trend, but I, we love uh, as Apex, and I think this is something that I love this bridge between Euro US and Europe. I think we should really sort of more and more partner, right? You just We see that now a lot of US investors coming into European sports properties and seeing a massive potential because there's huge fan bases and very little, very badly and poorly monetized. But then again, the, the US way of consuming sports will never be fully accepted here. So I challenge, uh, you know, investors or founders, if, if, you, if you find any solution that fits exactly in the middle between the pure US entertainment approach to sports and the very traditional Europe, European uh, uh, approach to sport, more culture, more blood, sweat and tears, but then, you know, not everything can be monetized because, you know, if whoever can bridge that gap and just nail it, be it on an, on an early stage technology solution, but also on how you're going to run a sports property, really globalize it properly. I'm sure that is something that is worth a lot of money. And that is just something that, again, we as Apex try to do every day. We see US investors coming in with big private equity transactions here. And we, you know, we are sort of started to come in with them. And that is a big question mark we still have, you know. Yes, there's a massive potential here, but you cannot just come in exactly with the same approach. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that is more, uh, you know, a macro uh, approach, a question mark, but that I, you know, I, I ask myself and I'm, I'm curious to see what no, listeners here uh, have to say about it. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I guess here closing out, where can everyone find more about Apex, like website, social, or, or you know, how to reach out to you guys or whatever? Yeah, so our website, www.apex4.cp.com. We are very active on LinkedIn. We have, we've never done too much on social media just because I think it's something that you either need to know how to do it properly or you might as well not do it. But now now that we are uh, in, in a really good spot on the media standpoint, we're, we're actually going to launch our Instagram very soon, nice. hopefully a podcast. And uh, so that stuff is still not out there, but I guess, you know, LinkedIn and, and, uh, and our webpage is a good, good way. And, you know, just hopefully if you watch and listen to any sports business outlets over the next few weeks, there'll be some cool stuff about us. Love it. Antonio, thanks for coming on and uh, look forward to seeing all the announcements here shortly. Thank you, Andrew, for the you guys are doing here at ProFlance and uh, speak soon.